welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week we, we read Parasha Hayesara, and as we see, the name of the Parasha is the life of Sarah, but when we start reading the Parasha, really it starts talking about her death. Not her life, but her death. And um, Sarah actually was the first Jew to die as a Jew, and the Torah expl explicitly enumerates the years of her life, beckoning us to explore their significance. So after Sarah's passing, we might expect the Torah to turn directly to the next generation. We would think, okay, we jump to the next generation. She died, they buried her, and that's it. But in reality, the entire chapter describes how Abraham elogized Sarah, how he bought the, the, the plot of land in Hebron, to bury his loved Sarah and how he elogized her and uh, how he took so much care in, in putting her to rest. So uh, we see that this is the first reference in the Torah to burying the dead and it's a big mitzvah to bury a dead person. So this special attitude towards Sarah's death is highlighted in the first verse of the parasha and the life of Sarah was 100 years and 20 years and 7 years and these were the years of the life of Sarah. And so, usually we see that with time, people lose their grace, they lose their beauty, they start aging, they don't look young anymore. But with Sarah, it was not so. She, she, she always looked youthful. And as Rashi explains, that the seemingly redundant repetition of the years in the verse teaches us that each number should be expounded upon individually. When Sarah was 100 years old, she was like a 20-year-old regarding sin. Um, in in, in, in Alaha, one is not liable of heavenly punishment until you're 20 years old. And when she was 20, she was as beautiful as a 7-year-old. So here we see a distinction between two levels of entropy, of a gradual decline. We see that in life, people can have a spiritual deterioration. People can decline spiritually into sin. They can fall into sin. And also in life, people have physical uh, entropy. People lose their beauty. They lose their strength. They, if their muscles start aching. And it's normal. It's a normal part of life. But during her life, Sarah was prone to neither of these degenerative uh, situations. Her years were equal in the spiritual realm and in the material realm. So what it's telling us is that she never deteriorated. She never fell into sin and her body never fell into old age. So the double reference to life in the verse indicates that Sarah's death was not the end of the road. So what it means is that there's life after life. So Jews, we don't believe that when a person dies, that's the end of them, they're finito, they're finished. In, um, in, the, in our text, it's explained that the soul, the soul, the neshama, the neshama elokit is actually a spark of God within each one of us. And this spark of God, this soul, this neshama is eternal. It never ceases to exist. Uh, one of the biggest, or I think it's the biggest uh, fear of people is that they would cease to exist Sometimes you see people doing crazy things in life because they want to exist. This whole existential, uh, philosophical thing puts people to do crazy things. But the Zohar explains that the secret of Sarah's death 
is that Sarah died in Kiryat Arba, which is Hebron in the land of Canaan. And so we see that Kiryat Arba means city of war. There's many explanations to this name of this city. The Midrash says that uh, it's called like that because four Sadiqim lived there, and we know it was Ab Abner and Eshkol, Mamre and Abraham. And then uh, the Zohar says that it's because of the four elements that compose physical matter, which are fire, air, water, and earth. And so as long as we live, these elements are fused together. At the moment of, day, of death, they disengage. But in the case of Sarah, our mother, Imanu, Sarah died and was buried, but her death was unique. Kiryat Arba is Hebron, which alludes to the connection of uh, Hibur, which is uh, its, its connection. And so when Sarah died, she remained whole spiritually and physically as she had unified the two realms in her double life. So what it means is that she lived true to who she was, and she the way she lived is the way she died. Like whatever she lived here was what she keeps on being up there. You know, there's a story of Jacob that when he the angels saw him sleeping, they were amazed when he was on his way out of the land of Canaan, it, they were amazed because they saw Jacob sleeping and the Jacob that was down here was the same prototype of the Jacob that was up there. So we have a, 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 a part of us that never descends to the world, it's a, it's a, it stays up there, it's called the Yehida, it's a level of the soul. And this level of the soul has, um, has a like you have a potential in life that you have to come to become that potential, you have to bring it out. And in the higher realms, that potential is actualized. So the angel saw the actualized potential of Jacob up in heaven, and he's, they saw the, the physical Jacob down on earth, and they couldn't believe it was the same. He was the same here, and he was the same there. So this uh, phenomenon defies the universal law of entropy, of, a, of gradual deterioration, it reflects the eternal quality of the soul, which lives on in a different dimension, even after the individual has passed away. So even if a person leaves this physical realm, this world in which we live, it, the soul never ceases to exist. And the soul, what happens to it is that he just transitions into a different world. So it's like he went to a different world. Like today, you have people living here, living there, living there. You talk on the phone, yes, but the soul transitions to a different realm. So the, the thing is that when we have a, a connection with a, another person, when we have a relationship, the relationship is mostly physical. You hug them, you speak to them, you give them a gift, you will go out to lunch. It's a physical relationship. When a person passes away, the way that you can connect to that neshama, that you can connect to that soul, is through the spiritual. It has to become a spiritual connection. So that's why uh, when Jews uh, lose a person in their lives, the, the right uh, response is to do things in their name, like uh, donate a separate Torah to a shul, or to give classes in their name, like shiurim, or sponsor a kiddush in the shul the day of their year side, or do things in th that that have to do with a spiritual uh, gift to that soul. 
and in that way you can connect to that soul in a spiritual level so to some extent the soul always remains bonded to the body that lies buried in the ground uh, we have five levels of the soul we have a um, we have a nefesh, ruach, neshama, haya, and yehida. So the nefesh and the ruach, which are the instinctive and um, emotional levels of the soul, when a person passes away and the body is buried in the ground, these two levels of the soul must re remain with the body. Then the neshama is the one that transcends and goes to the higher realms. The haya is like a lifeline that's connecting this world to the other, so it also goes and the Yahida is that level of the soul that never comes down here that it maintains its purity always no matter what a person does in his life his Yahida is always perfect and so <clears throat> we see <coughs> that the soul always remains bonded to the body that lies buried under the ground and this is why Jewish law forbids cremation that's why we don't cremate uh, our loved ones it's forbidden because the body is something that has to be kept and although the body de disintegrates with time you know it goes under the earth it becomes earth uh, nevertheless there's a bone that stays that is indestructible they they're not sure if it's the, the that little bone in the back of your neck or it's in the coccyx they're not sure which one it is but from there, Hashem is going to resurrect the dead. When Mashiach comes, there's going to be the resurrection of the dead, and all those bodies will come back. So Abraham acquired the cave of Machpelah, and subsequently, all our forefathers were buried there. It is a holy site where Jews have prayed throughout the generations. I had the big merit to be able to visit it right before Rosh Hashanah. I went there and really it's an incredible place you can feel it it's it's very powerful to go there and to pray there you can feel the holiness of the of the place and the sages teach us that the site of this burial ground is the entrance to the garden of eden they also say that all the prayers that that go first to discover of Machpelah, all prayers in the world go first to discovering Machpelah, and then from there they go up to, to heaven. So this is a point of connection between heaven and earth. And the literal meaning of Machpelah means doubled. And some say because of the double, the, the couples that were buried there. So we see that every heartbeat of life is a reflection of the infinite. Sarah's death reveals that even after death, the infinite remains vibrant, vibrant like buried treasure waiting to be on earth. So we Jews don't believe that life ends we don't believe it ends we believe that this world is a is a journey it's a it's an antechamber to what awaits us and it's a preparation for what awaits us this is not it this is not the destination so our physical senses are unable to discern this hidden force in the dead in the depths of the Machpelah cave it exists life after life you can feel it it's very strong and so God created man thus from the, from the earth. And moreover, the verse in Ecclesiastes states, everything is from the dust. After the primordial sin, man was destined to die and return to the dust. For you are dust and dust you shall return. So uh, according to the Ramhal, Rabbi, Rabbi Haim Moshe Lusato, in his epic work of Derech Hashem, the, the, the ways of God, he explains that before the primordial sin of Adam and Eve, the bodies 
were never gonna die. People were never gonna die. They were gonna live eternally. The plan was that once they entered the garden and they kept three hours and not ate from that tree, and they waited till Shabbat began, and then they could eat from the tree, then Mashiach would come and they would live in this panacea of a world, which uh, plan, plan A became plan B. So they ate from the tree, they sinned, their bodies before the sin were a different type of body. It says that they were covered like in a nail type of body, translucent type of body, um, more spiritually sensitive. The moment that they sinned and they descended, the bodies became these bodies, which are very coarse bodies. So death, according to the Ramhal, is the only thing that corrects the sin, is death. So everybody has to go through death. Death is part of that tikkun of the body, to be able to bring back that body that was the, 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 the body that Hashem wanted to give us. So thus took on new significance when Abraham expressed his submissiveness and lowliness in the famous statement, I am dust and ashes. And Sarah followed him by reaching the greatest extreme of submissiveness through death itself. So the Zohar associates the secret of Sarah's afterlife with dust, and dust is connected to submissiveness. Uh, submissiveness means humbleness, a person that is, um, has given his life to the service of Hashem. is a person that doesn't live their life thinking about themselves, they live their lives thinking about what Hashem needs from them. It's a very different life. One life is pleasure, 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 me, 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 and another type of life is, okay, does this bring glory to my king? Does this, is this something that Hashem would appreciate? Is this something that Hashem needs me to do? And when we live in this way, then we live like dust. We become submissive. So Sarah died in the land of Canaan. Canaan is from the same root as Hakna'a, which, which means submissive, submissiveness. And the four elements of the city of four, Kiryat Arba, remain connected by merit of the land of Canaan, the dust-like attribute of a submissive soul. So Abraham purchased the cave of Machpelah from Ephron, the Hittite, and his name derives from the same root as dust, Afar. So although the earth contains the vegetative life force, we perceive dust as an essential inanimate, it has no apparent life force. Similarly, the attribute of submissiveness appears to us as a form of psychological death, and it reaches its peak at the moment of death. So when you see a person in this world that has like no personality, like, you know, yeah, he's quiet, he doesn't mess with anybody, he has no opinions. This is not submissiveness. This is, this is a different thing. This is not what the Torah is talking about because Sarah was very vocal about the things she was vocal, vocal about. We see that when Hagar, her, her son, was nasty to her son Isaac, she immediately told Abraham, like, get this, this lady and her son out of this house. Like, she was not this uh, submissive in the, in the sense that she was stepped on. This is not what the Torah is talking about. She had a personality and she had a voice. But what it's talking about is that she used her life to serve Hashem. Her only care in the world was to serve Hashem. 
that's it. So if there was a guy that was not gonna help her son connect to God, then he had to go. It wasn't because she had a bad feeling towards the boy and she didn't like the mother. No, it's because they were not good uh, influences for her son, for him to be able to achieve his purpose in life. So the stage state, by very, very lowly of spirit for man's anticipation is warms. Throughout our lives, we choose goodness over evil and life over death. In this way, we are victorious over death. At death, we surrender our very being. And at this point, the individual experiences and identifies with entropy firsthand at its farther extreme. So death is the ultimate submissiveness. You know, we're born against our will, we live against our will, and we die against our will. So when a person is in the moment that he has to return his body, his soul to his creator, and he comes to that point where he just gives in, that's what, the, the, what Rabbi Isaac Ginsberg is talking about here. So obviously, not all submissiveness is positive, a, a compliant attitude could be the result of misplaced self-pity or lack of stamina. So we see that we have to really assert ourselves and know uh, what God wants from us. So if a person faces danger and he knows that he's running, that he's gonna be attacked, that he's gonna be killed or someone is gonna harm him, the Torah says, you have to wake up before they do and you have to go and kill them. You know, you, in a case like that, you cannot be submissive. You have to be proactive. So positive submissiveness results from the realization that everyone in the world is unique in ways that I lack. And this makes me realize that I am like dust beneath their feet. Such submissiveness allows the wise to learn something new from everybody. As the Pirkeabot says, who is wise? Uh, one who learns from every individual. So we see here, I see today that many people suffer a lot. Suffer a lot, a lot, a lot. Because people today are comparing themselves to everybody in the world. Like they wanna be like this model, they wanna be like this singer, they wanna be like this person. And they're so, uh, so engrossed with the other person that they forget to look within themselves and see what they have. They, they're only looking at what they don't have and what they're missing. So obviously this person has to have all the problems in the world. But if a person comes and he's submissive, this is where this word comes from, submissive, and looks within himself and realizes that he is made in God's image, that Hashem made him to be that person that he needs in this world with these attributes he has, with these specifications that he has and there's something unique in him or her that Hashem really needs from them in this world then that person is gonna be able to 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 live their life truly live their lives because a person can be alive but he can be dead too he can live like a dead person when you're not being you when you're trying to be someone else and you're doing things that really are not a, a, aligned with your purpose and your mission in life and your true values, then you're as, as if you're dead. So submit, submitting to death is so precious that the Baal Shem Tov was low to relinquish it. I could rise heavenwards in a stormy wind like Elijah the prophet. He said, I can just go up. I can just like leave my body and ascend. He said, but I desire to experience the verse, you are dust and to dust you shall return. 
So submissiveness also implies knowing how to lose gracefully. So yes, when we are gonna meet our creator, the day that comes, hopefully in many, many years, you have to be humble and leave this world humbly and say, okay, I, I, I fulfilled my purpose here. I did what I came to do. And now it's time to go back home. And, um, and that's what it is. But also submissiveness means that while you're in this world, you're responsible for your part of the world. You're responsible for elevating that place where you are and elevating everything around you. And that's also giving into Hashem. So experiencing the tastelessness of dust is the ultimate sense of submissiveness and lowliness. When we resign ourselves completely to the sense of losing, we reach the peak of submissiveness. After following entropy through through to its extreme when it's suddenly elevated far above it. Submitting to death at, at its due time rectifies the flaw of the primordial sin. So that's what um, cleanses that sin. That's what uh, rectifies, rectifies. So every day in our prayers, we praise Hashem saying, you resurrect the dead and you are trustworthy to resurrect the dead. And this will become apparent when the dead arise from their sleep at the end of days. And today, it's hard to think that Hashem one day is going to wake up every dead person in the world and they're going to come back to the, to the times of Mashiach. But really, if you look at, at, at science and the advances of science and how organs can be can be um, regrown and, 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 and cloned and whatever, all these science that are doing incredible things eh, with the stem cells and all these things, then you can come to believe that the resurrection of the dead is something that is not so outraged. It's something that is possible. Like yesterday, I went with my husband to see something he needed, and I saw these fo the, the 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 Apple phones and the Apple watches the, that people are wearing now. And I told him, like, wow, this is like Dick Tracy, you know, 50 years ago, Dick Tracy had a, 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 a watch that was a phone. And people used to think, oh, that's impossible. Who can have a, a phone in a watch? Like in those days, the phones, you remember the phones, it's impossible. But look at it today. You can, you can have your phone in your, in your wrist. You can uh, connect into your computer with every person in the world through Zoom. You can give a, a talk with people, hundreds of people at the same time, people in different places of the world. Who thought this was possible? 200 years ago, who thought they could get on an airplane and fly? Nobody, it was impossible. So we see that this world is not a world of impossibilities, it's a world of possibilities. And when the Torah is talking about the times of Mashiach, every time that the move, world moves forward, it becomes more, more real and more apparent and more possible. So retrospectively, it will become clear that death and burial are nothing more than a period of temporary slumber. It's just a temp, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a like a bus stop. It's, you're stopped in a bus stop for a moment and the soul goes to a special place in heaven called the, the, the world of the souls where they're there while Mashiach comes and they come back to this world in their bodies and they can come and live their real life. So God establishes his faith to those who sleep in the dust 
Sarah's life did not end with her death. In the future, her higher level of life after life will manifest in mundane reality, and the resurrection of the dead supersedes death. Sarah passed into a different dimension in which the regular definitions of life and death are no longer relevant. And this level of silent life praises God in a silent, thin voice. So on another note, uh, that the Tanya of last week was talking about uh, how when a tzaddik li leaves this world, he's more alive in the world when he is not physically here than, than when he's physically here. And Sarah, she passed away almost 4,000 years ago. And she's relevant today. It's not that she disappeared from the map. Like every Jewish woman, or most Jewish women at least, light their Shabbos candles. This is a mitzvah that was instituted by Sarah Imenu. The challah bakings today, last week, we had challah bakes around the world. Like thousands, millions of women were baking challahs. It's one of the most loved mitzvahs came from Sarah's tent and also the mitzvah of family purity which till today women take care of family purity and so these are different topics but what I wanted to say is that through us she lives because we continue her legacy and so when people live a life of eternity what I mean is their life is eternal because they are connected to their source and their life is a life of learning Torah and fulfilling mitzvot, which is Hashem's will. And when you live a life of Torah, of truth, of emet, and you live a life of fulfilling Hashem's desires, like kindness, acts of love and kindness, keeping Shabbat, keeping kosher, dressing in a serious way, modest way, speaking in a modest way, not only what comes in, but what comes out, being kind to other people, being forgiving. All these things that you do really never, never die because your children learn from you, your grandchildren learn from you. Then the great-grandchildren will keep on learning from their, from their parents that learn from you. And this legacy really continues in the world forever. It's never gonna end. And so in that way, we keep, we keep her alive because she's alive. She's alive through us. I see, for example, we're learning this, this text that was written by the Rabbi Itzhak Ginsberg, but in reality, it's insights of, 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 of Hasidic masters, of, of Sohar and the Hasidic masters. You see all these people that were here thousands of years ago writing all these texts. Until today, we live through them. We still, I'm talking about the Ramhal, and, 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 and he's, he's relevant today. So all his teachings are alive. And so when his teachings are alive and people are living through their teachings, the, the Rebbe Lubavitch, Today, he can connect to more people than when he was alive with the internet and all his works have been published and translated and all this. We see that the life is not finite. It's not finite. It's not something that ends. It's something that continues and it's eternal. But you have to live with submissiveness, with understanding why you're here and what's your role in this world. And in that way, you really live a little higher. So I leave you here. Wish you a blessed week and remember, live a little higher. Thank you.